Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies, I've got Glenn Foster on the show today, also known as That Canadian Guy, because he is indeed Canadian. We did talk about his album Unchecked for quite a while. The reason why is because that album made a huge impact on me as being pretty much a perfect comedy album. He'll say there's issues with it, but as a listener, it was one of the best comedy albums I've heard in my life. It made a huge impact on me. This is an album you want to listen to to learn more about writing, performing, and putting together an hour from all the individual bits that you've come up with over the years. It's a fantastic album. We talk about it a lot, but I want to make sure that you check it out because if you're a comedian or you love comedy, this is an album to check out. We also talked about how comedy is subjective and things like that. I listened to the edit, and it made it come off like I appreciated the album, but I didn't like it. So I want to make sure that I correct that without making a bunch of huge edits to the podcast. I love the album. Comedy is subjective, but as a comedian, you can understand what a good album is, and Unchecked is a good album. There will be a link to get to it in the show notes. Make sure you check this one out. It's a good one. I got to tell you a little story before I bring them out. So I listen to comedy albums as my job pretty much. And um, if you're a comedian, you know that you listen to these comedy albums and you kind of know what's coming and it's just, you don't laugh. You understand what's funny, but you don't laugh at everything because you're not an audience member. So that's pretty much how I listen to comedy albums. So I listened to this one and I was driving to Birmingham and It was the funniest thing I'd heard in years, and so I immediately emailed this gentleman, and fortunately, he agreed to do the podcast with me. Who I've got with me today is Glenn Foster. You may know him as that Canadian guy, and he's been performing comedy for over 40 years, and it really shows on this album. I'm going to bring him out right now. It's Glenn Foster, that Canadian guy. Glenn, how are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? Great. And I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to pump up your ego too much, but <laughs> pump up my ego is something awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, one of the things that I recognize with comedy, studying it the way I do, is it's you either like it or you don't, as far as a comedian is concerned. You know, but as somebody who studies it, you have to appreciate the work and the timing and the pauses and everything that you put into that album. I mean, I think anybody could listen to it and maybe not love your style, but completely agree that you put together 
one of the best comedy albums that I have heard and one of the best comedy albums that I think has been put out this century. It's really, (laughs) I mean, it's really, it's, I was, you know, from the beginning to the end, I was just marveling at how good it was. And I listened to it driving to Birmingham and they're about two hours away from me. And I listened to it again on the way back. And I've listened to it twice since then, just to find out what went into making it the way it was. And, you know, that's really kind of what I want to talk about today, because you've been doing this for 40 years. And I've listened to some of your other bits, you know, on, on YouTube and stuff like that. And when I compare stuff that you did like in 2010 or 2014 to the album, I know you've grown since then and you'd been doing it for 30 years at that point. So, (laughs) so I know that it's something that you continue to try to be better at, but what I want to get to is, you know, I'm going to go right for the album. It's called Unchecked, and you can find it in, on a lot of sources. I listen to it on Amazon Music because I don't like to give Spotify any of my time because I don't, because <laughs> they're it's actually It's actually suspended from Spotify right now. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, because there's some kind of a dispute going on with Spoken Giants. Which yeah, is the, yeah. Yeah, and they're connected with 800 Pound Gorilla, which is the label that this went out on. Right? Yeah. This is the first album, by the way. This is my fourth album, and it's the only one that's ever had any American play. Really? Like, uh-huh. because I've never had an, I've never had a U.S. record company. I've done everything independently. Yeah. Right? So it turned out that Daryl Lennox, a friend of mine, is connected with 800 Pound, uh-huh. and uh, he put me onto them, and, and that's how that happened. But it's the first, it's the first of any kind of serious exposure I've ever had Uh in the U.S. And really, you know, I started listening to the JFL channel on Sirius XM because there's a difference, and I don't know what it is. I'm hoping you can help me today. There's a difference between Canadian comics and American comics. And I know it's subtle, but for some reason, I laugh at the JFL channel more than I do the like raw dog or any of the other ones for some reason it just hits me different and and that's where i one of the one of the tracks from unchecked was on there and that's why i said oh i gotta listen to this album because this track just totally it was one of the ocd tracks and it was it just totally blew me away and that's why i listened to the full album but you know there's a there's a subtle difference between American humor and Canadian humor. Have you put a finger on it? I think that there's a, a fair bit of attitude, right? Uh-huh. In that, and I'm not saying all American comics, but a lot of American comics come from more of a performance background, I think. And they tend to sell, you know, in comics, sell the bit way mm. more than Canadian comics, I think. And also we're pretty focused on the writing up here. I think, yeah. you know, not exclusively, mm. but you know, if you say someone's a strong comic up here, you're more likely talking about the writing than the performance. Yeah. You know, whereas in the States, it's all about, you know, I got to perform this bit. So someone will see me, put me in a sitcom or whatever. Yeah. Right. So there, the, the, I mean, not to be rude, I'll be a little rude, but I see a lot of American comics with absolutely nothing and they're selling it huge. Yeah. And it irks the shit out of me. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, and you see that on a lot of a lot of. I'm the, not saying all American comics because there are a lot of very clever writing American right, comics. Right, right, and you see that but, a lot on the you know some of the Netflix and Amazon specials that I watch. I'm like, you're not as funny as the person I saw in South Bend, Indiana, three years ago, and that person's just a regular old road comic. And, oh yeah, and working on the writing. You know, a lot of the a lot of the ones that are really doing the road comic thing are still trying to find out who they are. So they're really working on the writing versus selling a something that'll do well on a TikTok, you know? So right, it's, exactly. It's, exactly. it's totally different. And maybe that's why I'm attracted to it because I'm really, I'm, I'm really enamored by good writing. However, on this particular album, I think you leaned into the performance part more than you probably ever have, not necessarily act outs or anything like that, but you have some very well-placed pauses, some very well-placed stammering, and just, it, you know, as somebody who listens to it a lot, you know that you worked hard on it, but as an audience, it felt very organic and genuine and the first time that you ever said it. So I know what goes behind that, but I can tell that you put, I just want to know what kind of work went into that when, album, because when, I know that when, some of when those. I, when, I, when I started out, I was the only one who would pay me to write for them. Uh-huh. And I started as a writer, Yeah, right? I wrote comedy. I mean, a thousand years ago, I had an ad job. I, I was a copywriter. Uh-huh. I could have been a, I could have been a, <laughs> who was the guy from John Hamm? Yeah. Right? The Mad Men. Uh, yeah. What's the show? Mad Men. Yeah. Thank you. I'm trying to do the show Mad Men, right? So I said, I could have been a Don Draper, uh, minus the chicks and the booze. Uh-huh. Had, had, <laughs> I, had I stuck with it, but there just came a point where I was doing comedy and still had my ad job. And I just realized that if I were to stick with my advertising job, I would have to get up and go to work every day. Uh-huh. And that just didn't really appeal to me. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally dig that. Because it was the original comedy boom early 80s anyway, right? Yeah. So it was a huge thing then. It was, you know, getting into something new and exciting and Yeah. But to your point, it takes, you know, I always tell people, and I think this is common knowledge, you know, the whole Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours type thing. It takes 10 years to get good at this. And then another 10 to figure out you're doing it all wrong. And (laughs) I mean, I'm constantly, you know, trying to grow, I guess, as you say, and change things up and so on and so forth. It took me 20 years to take the mic out of the stand. Uh Uh-huh. I used honestly I used to stand behind the mic dead straight, yeah. right? Like so, the performance for me has taken a long time, and I still don't feel completely comfortable with performance. Uh-huh. You know, I'm always happy with the writing end of it, and uh, yeah, it's yeah, I performance not uh, not my strong suit. I still say not my strong suit. Yeah, uh, you know. So thinking about the tracks on this album, and I know some of them are ones that you've worked on for years and some of them are newer, and it's a mix of that. What everything, did it, on, everything on this album is, with a few exceptions, probably no more than five years old. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of the one that, that might be a little bit old. Anyway, I, the, you know there's a triple meaning to unchecked as well, right? Yeah, because 
unchecked if you look at the cover, right? Yeah. I've got all those things, boxes that I don't check. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Rich, good looking. Uh, then I've got some thrown in there like LGBTQ or Aboriginal or uh-huh. you know, boxes I don't check. Yeah, Unchecked is also, if you listen to the album, uh, talking about my my AD and my minor OCD, check boxes and lists and all that. And then the third meaning is unchecked, you yeah. know, like not to, not censored. Right. Thing. Well, there's only one F-bomb on the entire yeah. album. Right. Right. But it had to be an F-bomb. It had to be. Yeah. There's no other yeah. word that would work there. Right. right? So and I never get in trouble for language, but I do run into trouble on content, you know. People are like, oh, you can't do a joke about this or you can't do a joke. You know, like it makes it hard to book corporate when they're like, we don't want anything, you know, that might be considered sexist or, you know, might be a little bit racist or might, we don't want this and we don't want that. And I'm like, you don't want me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I can play both sides of the fence, right? I mean, I can do, you know, cruise ship clean show if I have to. Mm-hmm. Just don't enjoy that. Right. I enjoy provoking and taking shots and so on and so forth. You and know? not offending people, not offend. I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I sure want them to think that I might. Right. That's exactly, you ride that edge so well. And it tell club owners. Yeah. Nothing, <laughs> nothing I hear from you comes out as mean. It comes out as I'm trying to understand how other people think. Yeah. That's a good description. I think. I'm not a mean person. Yeah. And I feel like you, you fall into, you know, one of the, one of my absolute favorites is Tom Dreesen. And one of the things that he always says to comedians who are asking about comedy, that's maybe on the edge that could potentially offend somebody. And the only thing he asks, is it funny? Because if it's funny, you can normally get away with it. And exactly. if exactly. it's not, then they're going to nitpick everything you said. Right. And that's what that one joke is about, right? Yep. The fact that comedy is subjective. Yeah. Right. It's funny to you. It might not be funny to anyone else. Yeah. It's funny to you. Yeah. You might be a sick fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny to you. And I try, I try to remove myself because I do, I kind of empathize with you because I've got a little bit of the ADD myself. I don't have the OCD because I don't care what I forget. <laughs> but, it's, but it's so my, it's it, like, it's just trace elements of both of these things, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, my room is a shambles. Everything, my, my website is yeah. a shambles. Everything is a shambles. And yet there is so much order yeah. in the shambles. Yeah. Right. There's little pockets of order everywhere. My act is the most organized thing in my entire life. And it's kind of random at Uh times too. Yeah. How did you, so how did you get to the point, you know, one of the things that you mentioned when I was showering all the praise on you about the album is that you put a lot of work into it and the, that you were pretty proud of it yourself. So what did you do to get this album to the point where it is. There's a lot of callbacks and that sort of thing that I tend to use. So what did I do? I certainly went out and, you know, worked on a, the individual bits and B the order structure of the whole thing. Right. 
And as I say, I put a few years into it. I mean, it was, as I say, probably the third or fourth attempt at recording, but my first attempt was maybe four years before that. So it only got better. Right. Right. I mean, I'm a bit obsessive. I record every set that I do and some of them I never even look at. Right. But, but a lot of them, when I'm working on something, I'll definitely look at it. And I'm, I'm, I like to call myself a joke mechanic. You know, I will take it apart. I will say, can this, you know, be a better word, a different word, even jokes that work. I'll still mess around with them to see if, you know, they can work better type thing. But a big part of my act is structure. And are you familiar with the rock band Triumph? Oh, yeah. Okay. I like to think that I learned a few things from watching Triumph. Uh-huh. Okay. And a few of those things would be open big, uh-huh. you know, yeah. massive explosions, yeah. whatever. Right. And then there's what I would call tricks. Right. So can you do an impression? Okay, great. But if you, the minute you do an impression, people know you can do an impression. That's not a surprise anymore. Yeah. Right. Can you do a, you know, a vocal accent, a sound effect, whatever little tricks that you bring along, the minute you use them, they're done. And they're not done, but people know it's not a surprise. I like to surprise people. I like to use a lot of misdirection and, and you know, I like surprises. I like surprising people. So, uh, so, okay. So triumph, I always thought, you know, they made the most use of all their tricks, their pyro, everything else. Mm-hmm. Saw Genesis at one point, and they just threw their stuff away. It was like you know, you know, when the roadies aren't busy, we let them play with the smoke machines, <laughs> and they turn on the smoke machines. You don't have a song going right now. There's yeah. no effect. You know, you're just <laughs> fucking. That's gone now. You can't, right? So that's why I say things like impressions, vocal effects, whatever you would do. If you haven't done it to a point, people don't know you can, and it's a surprise. But the minute, so if you do an impression early in your show, like, okay, he does impressions. Yeah. Now, where's another one? Uh Or, you know, I mean, these are things that I think subconsciously people, I put a lot of faith, I think, in the subconscious as well. You know, like I don't like to use the same word twice in a bit. Okay. And I don't, it's to me just a thing that, that here's an example of a joke that I was doing and it's just a stupid joke and it was a kind of a throwaway, but I would stand on stage and I would turn profile and I would say, check this out. Right. So round across the front, but flat across the back. Right. So I would say, so somewhat aerodynamic, (laughs) right. But people weren't getting it. Uh Now, why weren't they getting it? Because you don't think of aerodynamics in a vertical plane. Uh-huh. You think of it in a horizontal plane, right? So by adding, I changed it. I said, so when I lie down, actually somewhat aerodynamic. Uh-huh. And it started working better okay. because I'm conveying that see, mentally you're not accepting this. Right. But you will accept this. Yeah, you're painting a picture of, yeah. Right. A subconscious picture. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, as I say, I'm big on what is the mind hearing that you're not hearing as you, you know, you listen to something and you hear it one way, but your mind is hearing it a different way. Right. Kind of thing. So how do you I'm become any sense at all? Yeah. How do you become aware of that though? 
I just always have been, I mm-hmm. think, you know, maybe, maybe to do with advertising yeah. or whatever, you know, just communication. I've always been in some kind of communication field. I mean, that's what this is. This is communication. Right. If I have an idea in my head that I think is funny for you to think it's funny, I have to communicate the idea. If it is, if you're, if I'm not getting a laugh on a joke, there's two possibilities. One, it's not funny, but it's me. So let's discount that. <laughs> the other possibility is, I was just joking there. The other possibility is, I like it. I'm not communicating the bit clearly. Yeah. Right. So if I'm communicating the bit clearly and it's still not funny, it's not funny. Uh-huh. Right. But I could be miscommunicating the bit, right? Which happens, right? So I try to, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, I, you, you'll notice I'm a lot better at writing things down than actually conveying them in a conversation. So how long does it, how many times will you perform a particular bit before you decide, okay, oh, I need actually, to put this away? I have a rule. This is my rule. I will try a joke once or twice, and if it still doesn't get a laugh, I will only try it three or 400 more times. <laughs> if I think a joke is funny, I'll keep trying it. Yeah, yeah. I had a stupid joke that I was doing, and it doesn't get a laugh. And it should get a laugh, but it doesn't get a laugh. So I've just been making fun of the fact that I've done it so many times, and it hasn't gotten a laugh. Uh-huh. And, the joke is the lead in is I'm what is known as a late bloomer. I hope. <laughs> and then I say, seriously, it has taken me a very long time to figure out that I am a slow learner. <laughs> it doesn't get much. Yeah. Right. And then I'll say point, but case in point, that is about the 95th time I have told that joke. And it never gets a laugh. (laughs) And yet I persist. (laughs) The phonetics of late bloomer is like the perfect, because I use it too. It's like the perfect thing to say that just sounds funny. Yeah. It's a curse from my mother, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Years ago, when I was first starting comedy, she said to me, she said, well, you know, Rodney Dangerfield didn't get, didn't become famous until he was in his fifties. And I'm like, yeah, thanks mom. (laughs) 30 years ago, that's what I wanted to hear. And now I'm like, yeah, maybe in his sixties, you know, there's still time. Yeah. Now it's obvious that you do comedy, first of all, as personal, but like you said, you want to do what you think is funny. Very little. This is, this album is the most personal album I've ever done. Oh yeah. Because most of my comedy is just observational. Yeah. You know, this is the first album that I've ever really put a fair chunk of the personal in. Uh-huh. You know, so the, do you feel like that? List and the dog. Yeah. And the, yeah. I, I wish I had more personal stuff, really, because I think it makes a better connection with the audience. You know, I wish I had more stories, for example. Right. But I don't. So, uh, you know, I'm jokes. Yeah. I write jokes. It's what I do. And that's what really connected with me was the personal stuff, uh, especially, you know, when you're talking about, I didn't get anything done today, got up at 11, you know, that, you know, that type of stuff really stuck with me. And I guess it's because I identify with it. 
and it's a it's the same thing. You got so much on your plate, you're just not going to do anything. So exactly so, it. Yeah. That's exactly. If I could turn my camera around right now, you could just see there's notes all over my walls. There's shit all over my desk. There's boxes. I mean, I barely. We've been in this house three years now, uh-huh. and I have barely even unpacked shit. <laughs> it's still put away. I've got two laptops on my desk and a computer and another computer. I could just acquire shit. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I won't necessarily say that I'm a hoarder, but I'm a pack rat uh-huh. for sure. You know, I've got all kinds of, and some of it might even be, you know, have some value. I mean, I've got, you know, my old record collection and I've got shit from the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> you know, technology <laughs> from the eighties. I've got a Palm pilot. There you I've go. I've got a Walkman Sport, right? <laughs> and I've got all this stuff and I, it's, you know, sitting, I've moved it three times for what, what's the point of that? I yeah. don't know. Because you think, oh, I might need this someday. Uh-huh. I might need that, you know, thousands of plugs and cords and everything else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I finally, we, we moved from Indiana to Huntsville, Alabama just last year. And we paired, we knew we were going to go. So we paired everything down. And then when we got down here, we got into a condo without a garage because that's all we could get. And I had to pare down again. And, say, yeah. and it's nice. It's nice to know that I'm not missing anything, but it was really right. hard to throw the stuff away. <laughs> it is. I find it so hard to throw anything away. Yeah. Like anything. It's just, it's crazy. It's a crazy thing. I, you know, it's a disease. Yeah. There's a mental, yeah. there's a mental block. I've still got my Lego from when I was seven years old. <laughs> That's great. And by the way, and by the way, and I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to do it. When I was seven years old, I figured out how to make a Lego gun that actually fired a Lego brick. Ooh. And ooh. So at some point, I'm going to do that again and videotape it. Yeah. And put that on the internet. Yeah, there you go. Maybe you'll be a TikTok star. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a typical tip TikTok thing. I have one TikTok that did 70,000 views. And out of that, and that's the only one that's ever done anything, uh-huh. right? It was a complete fluke in a way because it was during when lockdown first started, when all the lockdowns. So my wife was touring Europe at the time. And the day before France shut down, she flew out of France. Mm-hmm. And on, on the night of... The last, her last night in Paris, they were stayed at a hotel at the airport, 300 room hotel with like 30 guests in it on the last night. So I had to go pick her up at the airport when she's flying out of Europe, you know, with COVID chasing her up the runway. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought, okay. So what I did was put a shower curtain in the car, like across the back seat. (laughs) <laughs> so that was my TikTok, just me going to pick up my wife with a shower curtain in the back. Right? Unfortunately, she was much too tired and cranky to, to, you know, she thought it was amusing, but she didn't want to be on camera. Yeah. She had just, it was like, she hates being on camera at the best of times. Like she just hates it. She uh-huh. does not want to be the center of attention ever. Uh-huh. But can you imagine the number of hits I would have got had she actually responded to or reacted to this stupid Oh yeah, on camera, <laughs> right? But new, no. but anyway. 
So do you think that this shift with more personal material, do you think that's what's connected with the U.S. audiences, or have you been able to put a finger on it? I don't know, because I, I don't even tour in the U.S. I don't, mm. I, you know, I, I do everything in Canada, which is mm. stupid, I suppose. Yeah. Because there's so much more, you know, market in the States and everything else. So I really don't have a good read on how my stuff does in the U.S., mm. right? Other than, I guess, you know, satellite traffic or whatever, you know, right. from, I mean, there's, you guys get to get things in, in the States like Pandora that we can't even get here. Yeah. My album's on Pandora. I can't even listen to it here. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's, it, so until I start getting some feedback from the States, really don't know. I mean, I, I can't see how it would be all that different because yeah. I mean, I've done shows on ships and everything else and some stuff is universal and right. And some stuff isn't right. But yeah, again, no, no hard data on that. Yeah. I gave you my feedback. I'm just one guy, but you know, it, right. You need thousands more like you, my friend. Yeah, I know it's, it, it struck a chord and I am, you know, I'm telling everybody I can about it because I think, and I just don't want to, I don't want to beat this to the ground, but I think as far <laughs> as, putting together something that is a cohesive unit from front to back and the joke structure and the performance element. Like I said, it's one of the best albums I've heard and not just by everybody. I'm just talking, it's just, or just recently well, I'm talking about, I'm comparing it to my George Carlin albums and my Bill Cosby oh, albums and all Jesus. that stuff that no, I that, love. That is, that is high praise. Yeah. Thank you very much. I actually, I actually met George Carlin for about 45 seconds once cool. before he was going on stage. And one of my prized possessions is a letter from George Carlin. Oh, nice. When I put out my first album, I sent him a copy, right? And I sent a note and I said, I have your, all your albums. I think you should have one of mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually called and I was out of the house, uh -huh. right? But he left a message on my answering machine, which is lost to history because, you know, tapes die uh -huh. and everything get recorded over, right? Like yeah. I should have pulled it, right? But I didn't, not thinking, whatever. But he said, hey, Glenn, thanks for sending your album. Uh, I hope you don't mind. Me and the boys made some copies and we're selling them down by the pier. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> That was great. Oh, man. Uh, you know, what's funny is I just watched a clip of Carlin on the Jimmy Dean show. So this is the old button-up Carlin, just fresh out of radio. And he's writing for Jimmy Dean, and Jimmy Dean brings him out, and he does his news bit. But he does the hippy-dippy weatherman, but the way he does it is, I'm the hippy-dippy weatherman with all the hippy dippy with all the hippy dippy weather he doesn't say man at the end of it so this isn't it's not a full it's not a fully uh, fledged bit and right and yeah, oh, so he's, he's working on it yeah and, and it's oh, really yeah. neat to see that because you yeah. know it was black and white and it's probably years before he put that album out but to know that like you, he keeps honing in on it and keeps finding the funny. And by adding one word to it, he made that bit 10 times more funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I watched that through a couple times because, and it was funny because my wife wanted to go to sleep and I just kept watching it. <laughs> Isn't it amazing all the old stuff you can find on YouTube? Oh, yeah. Incredible stuff. Yeah. And I just marveled at the fact, that, and she's like, you know, what's up with that? I said, because he didn't say man. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Know? And on the album, he says, man, and it's more, it's way more funny. And it was just, it, it's interesting to me to see how some, that shows growth in, in a comedian that they're self-aware and that they're always working on the bit. You know, that bit could have been 10 years old when he put it on the oh, album, sure. yeah. It, yeah. but he made it to the point where it can't, it can't possibly be any more funny because he said, man, and it just, it, I marvel at that. And that's what I see in your album. I can tell that you have done this so many times that I, you've I, got. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So structure wise, every joke has a structure and then the show has a structure. So the jokes have structure within the show and then the show itself has this, the, you know what I mean? So yeah. It's kind of macro and micro, yeah. I guess. Yeah, for sure. Time. But yeah, I'm constantly, you know, like a joke will come into my head and I'm pretty lucky that for the most part, it pops into my head the way I'm going to do it. And for the most part, it hits, you know, for the, I mean, that just comes with time, I guess. But if it doesn't hit right away, then you got to tinker with it. You got to play with it and say, you know, what's, what exact because i know this is funny right <laughs> or at least i think so i have a, a you know good idea that it's funny how do i convey it right and how do i not give it away as i'm conveying right it? right i think that's part of the challenge too because when i watch comedy i see everything coming yeah right i'm, I mean, yeah, I'm the same people, yeah even with people who are trying to fool me like anthony jesselneck uh -huh. a lot of yeah misdirection so then you start looking for the misdirection yeah right which means that your whole act can't be misdirection, right? Yeah. You have to make them forget that you can do misdirection. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but and, yeah, there's a lot of misdirection in 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 my act for yeah. sure. And it's also it's also very subtle, some of the misdirection. I mean, some of it, you know, some of those especially you know, at the the beginning, the one of the first bits is the, the planning. Of, oh yeah. You know, <laughs> That that stuff sat with me, and I was laughing at it like two tracks later. It was it was like, oh, this is funny, and then some stuff sunk in, and I was laughing again at it. And it's and you didn't need a callback for me to remember it. It was just it just stuck with me, and I thought that was really good. I, there's a lot of jokes that okay, now I've completely lost my train of thought here. I was going to say, oh yeah, the planning bit that you're talking about that took a lot of planning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to you know, rewrite and reconstruct that bit so many times because uh -huh. if you do one part of it in the wrong place, it screws you for the rest of it yeah. because you have to keep the, you know, certain parts of it sort of secret, but kind of hint and allude to it and then hit them with the punchline down the road that yeah. I got up at 11. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. and when I talked about how there's not enough hours in the day, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Now it's noon, but I got up at 11 right yeah like, i'm not doing obviously i'm just not doing it i'm not even doing my own bit and and that's really one of the one of the things i admired about that joke in the album is it's a long it's a long road with a lot of tags in a it. a lot of tags and twists and so on and so yeah. forth and that joke probably took two or three years of going up on stage and changing and fixing it and adjusting and so on and so forth so that it was just the right combination of uh chaos with an order to it uh-huh right because it's about chaos oh really. yeah yeah you know yeah my, and as I say, my whole life is chaos except for these little chunks of order yeah 
And I got to think that you would make the people who are totally organized with their life that they were just squirming in their seats when. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. And the number of times, too, people come up after the show. Oh, my husband is just like you. He yeah. Can't organize his life to say, you know yeah he's, he's or my brother or but you know this guy's the i always say i'm the weakest link in my own organization yeah <laughs> which is true yeah. i'd be so much further ahead if anyone but me was in charge of me yeah right <laughs> totally get it hey and keeping with that you sent me a bit that's a little bit newer and that you're still working out. Do you want to listen to that real quick and talk about which it? One, yeah, it depends. I sent you two, so it depends. Which this one is going to we be the shorter about. one. The, the starts out one. with, okay, with, yeah, with, sure. with yeah. the God. Yeah, Let, yeah. let's okay. play it real quick. <laughs> My wife recently accused me of having a God complex. And I was like, honey, how could you say that unto me? <laughs> and you know, the Catholic Church is on taking a lot of heat these days for all this sexual abuse. And I don't think it's fair to tarnish the whole organization when really, if we're totally honest, it's mostly just the men. <laughs> so that's a brand new bit. Yeah. That is that Catholic bit is a brand new bit. The other bit, the God complex that I've been doing for a couple of years now, that joke just popped into my head uh -huh. just, and I just went out and did it as is and it works yeah. and it's fine. The Catholic one I just came up with the other day because I've been watching a lot of comedy. I'm always watching a lot of comedy uh -huh. and it just, there's, there's so many jokes these days and not just jokes, but just in the general, you know, public sphere about, you know, abuse and the Catholic uh -huh. church and everything else. And it, it, the concept of, Hey, it's mostly just the men. Yeah. That popped into my head fairly instantly. It's the, again, the conveying of it, right? So yeah. you notice that I say Catholic church first, don't say it again. I say organization, right? Says so I'm trying to avoid using the same word. Yeah. And the joke got a bit of a laugh, but I think it could get, and my friends, we're all puzzled. We've been looking at this joke yeah. and we're puzzled. Like, why didn't that get a bigger pop? Yeah. Right. And I think it's because I got too much setup in there. And I need to trim it down. But it was uh -huh. the first time it's falling out of my face. Yeah. So, you know, that's, you need to do that. Yeah. You need, whatever joke you're working on, it's got to fall out of your face uh -huh. for the first time somewhere. And that was, that was like, a, it was a club set, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then once you hear it and once, once it's out, then you can start tinkering with it and say, okay, there's too much setup here. There's too much. And I'm still trying, because it is a bit of a misdirection joke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, because I'm talking about this whole organization right. leading you away from, you know, the fact that it's just the men. Yeah. And, and I was trying to figure out, I, I was trying to figure out why it didn't land yeah, better. I, I mean, for me, that would be like a showstopper type of, you know, you I have to stop for the much, applause break. There's too much setup. Yeah. I think there's too much. I made it too complicated. I've been thinking about it. And I think the next time I go, it'll be something like, you know, the Catholic Church has taken a lot of heat and now everyone is suspect, you know, from, you know, right on up to the Pope. Right. And I don't think that's fair because, I mean, it's mostly just the men. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. I've cut the joke in half yeah. effectively. Right. right. Yeah. So that might help. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. And it could also be that show was in Ottawa. Ottawa has this unique situation where we have, it's the capital of Canada, of course. There are a lot of public servants. 
Uh, and public servants don't want to be seen laughing at something that doesn't fit the manual. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I even do a joke about it. It's like someone will see you laughing and then they'll take out their phone. And then the next morning it's a call from HR. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a good time? Oh, you're fired. Huh? What do you think of that? You laughed at a joke and now you're fired. <laughs> do you think maybe it's because it's right on the right after the God complex one? I did the God complex one just so I'm in the religion yeah. sphere, uh -huh. right? Just so it's not coming out of nowhere because I wanted it to have something because I'm trying a new joke. I want that new joke to have one of two things. I either want it to have like a nice, comfortable, you know, yeah. first time out, or I like to do a new joke right off the top. Yeah. Right. Because that is the best read you'll ever get. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. You do it right off the top with nothing to support it, you know, and just... Yeah. And I just felt like the God complex one took some active listening and it was a little bit, it's, it can be a little bit more delayed because you, the thou part has to sink in. Yes. Unto. Uh, yeah. And you see that? unto, unto is the key word there. Yeah. So that has to sink in. And I, I don't know if their brains are still working to, to, <laughs> <laughs> synthesize that in into the laugh and so it it made the other one a little bit harder for them to get back into i don't know but i thought it was a perfect setup and premise and the punch is just fantastic so i know that's going to work for you somehow but it's kind of neat to see this <laughs> i'm glad you sent it because it's kind of neat to see a work in progress and then you know someday i'm going to get to see it when it's all polished up and ready to go and it's funny yeah <laughs> funnier yeah when it lands better yeah when it lands better i mean we believe it to be funny we just have to make it land better yeah yeah. Now, do you, you say that you watch and listen to a lot of comedy like I do, and, and, and I think we... I still enjoy watching comedy. I go out to open mics. I still go, you know, if I go to a show, I watch the whole show. Yeah, right. right. I still enjoy watching. I almost enjoy watching comedy as much as I do performing yeah. comedy. Even still, even like 40-something years mm -hmm. in the game. Even bad comedy can be funny. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. like in its own bad way. Yeah. Right. I also find, and I've told this to a lot of people too, that, you know, even if you go to like the shittiest open mic where there's like, you know, two audience members and 10 comics and it's like <laughs> you're entertaining those 10 comics and the two, <laughs> even the shittiest open mic puts you in a creative framework. It does. Right? Yeah. I came up with that Catholic joke. If I hadn't gone out to that open mic the other night, I wouldn't have come up with that joke, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so really that's the, what you're hearing there is the second time I did that. Because uh -huh. I, I, I came up with it at the open mic. Yeah. I did it at the open mic. Then I did it in an actual club. Yeah. Right? But what I'm saying is there's been a number of times that I could recall where I'll be driving home from whatever show open mic nonsense and something will just pop in my head. It has nothing to do with any of the jokes mm. I saw that night or anything. It's just being in a creative environment, yeah. Yeah. right? Even a terrible creative environment yeah. is still a creative environment. Yeah. And just knowing, for me, just knowing that I'm going to go to one puts the whole day into a more creative space for me because I feel like 
I have to bring something new and original, even though yes. open mics aren't about that. And I know that I write a lot more when I know that I've got even a shitty open mic, like you said, even right. when I've got that coming. And part of it's because you want to impress the other comedians. You want yes. you want them to like you. And when you're of a certain age, you've got that hurdle to go through too, because they're all in their twenties and you have to win them over that way. But yeah, I agree that when I have, if I know that I'm going to do something as stupid as an open mic that I know there's going to be 10 comics and two people sitting there, it puts me in a different frame of mind than if I say, okay, I got to write something. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to sit down and write something. Yeah. I find, I mean, I've done it. I've had to do it in the past and I've done it. It's hard. And you know, my best ideas, I have no idea yeah. where they came from. Yeah. Right. They just pop into my head and yeah. you know, people go, how do you come up with your ideas? I wish I knew. Yeah. Cause I come up with more of them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when you get those popping into your head, what do you do to, first of all, remember it? And how do you record it so that it doesn't fly I, I away? Usually, I, I usually will write it down. I still carry it. I always have a pen on me, actually. Do I have it now? Let's find out. Yes, I do. I have the, the Seinfeld space pen. Oh, <laughs> you can write upside down. I can write upside down. I can write underwater. It's a great little pen because, first of all, it's self-contained. Right? Yeah. So it's not going to blow up in your pocket or uh -huh. anything like that. It's very small. I put it in the key pocket of my jeans usually. Yeah. Right? So I always have a pen. And I usually have a notepad somewhere or I'll scrawl it down or whatever. Mm. But I'm pretty good at remembering things that I just came up with. It's stuff that I've been doing for years that I forget. <laughs> And your stuff is involved. It has. Yeah. It's uh, and continues to evolve. Yeah. I think, you know, I think the best example of a misdirection joke on the album is the not watching the news. Yeah. Stop that. I stopped watching the news. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's that, that one. There's, there's an interesting thing because if I do that joke, I have to do it before I talk about anything in the news uh -huh. or it doesn't. That's what I'm talking about. The subconscious. Yeah. Right. So it's like, if you do a joke about my girlfriend, right. And then a couple minutes later, you're doing a joke about your wife. Yeah. In the back of their mind, people will go, didn't he just say he had a girlfriend? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's not something that you really pay attention to, uh -huh. but I think the mind subconsciously does yeah. pay attention to stuff like that. Yeah. Right. And it causes an unnecessary little bump in the road. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's like so a risk. Yeah. I try to smooth out all those little bumps that, that people don't even think about. Uh-huh. Now, do you have, you know, like a close enough circle of friends that you bounce this stuff off of people in the business and they help Not you hone it up a little often. bit? I don't say I'll bounce stuff off of them, but, you know, we give each other tags and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. I have a pretty, pretty close circle that way, you know. But also, you know. I'm older than most of the people I'm working with now. So right. it's not that I have a close circle of peers because my peers have gone on to bigger and better things. <laughs> you know, I know a lot of famous people. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, I, I don't know, you know, 
I know you from this album, and I know that we're Facebook friends, and I never know exactly how that happens because I forget who I asked a friend, and I forget who asked me to friend. And I see that you're just, you're a regular guy that does comedy. You're not, you're not like super weird, like a lot of comedians that I know. Be weird. Yeah. You're you're not weird on the outside because I'm weird on the inside too. No. Yeah. And, but you're a guy that, you know, I wouldn't be scared uh, of if I was, if I ran into you at Walmart. So I don't know if, do you have Walmarts in Canada? Oh yeah. Okay. So I wouldn't be scared of you. You know, some of the comedians. We don't have, we don't have Walmarts with open carry though. Yeah. Okay. But some of the comedians I know, if I didn't know them and I ran into them at Walmart, I'd probably change aisles. So, you know, it's, right. it, yeah, it's a little bit different situation. So, and that's how, I don't know if it's your your age or the way you carry yourself. You seem to be able to, some of the more stuff that could be considered controversial is it lands better with you than I think somebody that is, say they're 30 and they look like a hipster or something like that. You know, they, it, it seems like it's going to land better because I don't know, you've built this and, and you don't get, the other thing on the album is you don't get into the more controversial stuff until about halfway through. And, That's on purpose. Yeah. That's and absolutely on purpose. Because right? you've drawn them in as just somebody who's kind of bumbling through life because you can't get up before 11, blah, blah, blah. And then you, when you get into it, it just seems to be a natural progression versus something that you're bringing up and you want to call out of attention to the fact that you're being controversial. Yeah. Yeah. But I like to, it's like the first job in this game is make them like you. Yeah. Right. So you don't want them to dislike you on your way to trying to do something controversial. Like it's really hard. I find it really hard to do anything dark or controversial in a short set. Yeah. Because you have not got time for them to like you first before you say something mm-hmm. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> right. And what's even harder is if you're up first. Yeah. Right. Because the audience, you know, they've just had an MC do 15 minutes of hi, how are you? Where you're from? Happy. You know, we're all glad to be here. And then boom, you know, into the dark material. You yeah. can't do it. Very difficult. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, so I, I always, you know, if you're on a little later in the show and here's another thing I did, a, I did an all dark show called this ain't the CBC. Our CBC is our national broadcaster up here and very straight laced, mm-hmm. you know, and so anything remotely controversial, they wouldn't touch. Yeah. But it's harder almost to do that kind of show than to just slip a dark joke in here once in a while on a regular show, because again, the element of surprise. Yeah. Right. Like if it's like I, if it's like you slip a dark joke in, I go, Ooh, right. You've got that kind of shock value a little bit. Yeah. Element of surprise. But when you're going to what is a dark show, you think well, maybe I'm not dark enough. Yeah. You know? Or consistently dark <laughs> enough. Yeah. Or whatever. Right? right. So it's a kind of a two edged sword when you brand that way. Yeah. Right. And I feel um, the same is true with clean comedy. And I see all these clean shows and these people that build themselves as a clean comic. So what? Are you funny? I, it is I, harder I, to be funny clean, though. It yeah, is. and I do. You know, my set is, you know, almost 
90% clean, very similar to yours as far as subject matter and right. like um, I say, I, and I, I don't I, swear know, a lot. No one's, yeah. no one's going to throw me out for swearing, Yeah, but they'll go, uh, I don't think she'd be doing that religious joke. Or, yeah. You know, maybe yeah. that, that, you know, is a little too political yeah. or maybe that's, you know, LGTP people, LG, you know, I might not like that joke yeah. or, right. you know, whatever. Right. I'm going to target somebody, yeah. you know, and again, then there are other people from all these different groups who love those jokes. So it's all very subjective and yeah. it's all, you know, kind of squeaky wheel when it comes to all this PC wokeness and everything else. Yeah. It's not everybody that's complaining, you know, no. but it is, you know, the vocal people who are complaining are driving the bus. Kind yeah. Of thing. And it's also what I always try to do. I mean, you know, I can't get offended very easily. However, I can listen to something and say, you know, that's not congruent with the way I think, or it's, I know that this could potentially be hurtful to somebody, but if you don't know where it's coming from, you don't have the right to say that it's bad. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, so I, you know, I come from a family that, you know, I had a lot of gay men in my life because my grandmother was friends with them. And so I feel like I could talk about that, but I don't because I know that I just look like regular straight dude that never even talked to a gay person, even though I worked with them and I, they were in my life. And yet if I did, they wouldn't know where it's coming from, you know, the, and it's you feel it's not your purview yeah yeah it kind of is because no, i you have no right to talk about that because you're not gay you can't talk about being black because you're not black yeah right right exactly so i mean you notice i there's some on the album you know about being a white male kind of thing can i get a brown uh, person i love that <laughs> And then there's other stuff that I've been doing now that is, is, as you say, walking that fine line and it could blow up in my face anytime, right? Like the, and oh, that's yeah. the thrill for me. That's the thrill oh, for yeah. me. Right? Yeah. You know, I, I could, you know, this could all go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what really, that's what really made this album hit with me so much because it, you, the first part is just masterful and the Mr. X and, you know, being personal and all that. And then when you got into the stuff that's a little bit more controversial, you did it in a way that I don't, you know, somebody could obviously complain about it, but they don't have much meat on the bone because you're coming at it from your own perspective. And it's very evident that you're just trying to understand, not, not try it's also to very, very apologetic. Yeah. You're not punching you know, down. I'm going into yeah. saying sorry in advance almost. Yeah. Right? I'm sorry. Yeah. I think this way, but this is how I think. And this is, you know, my thoughts on the matter. Yeah. For sure. People still do get offended, but you know, what can you do about that? Yeah. Right. So you, since you're watching surprised actually that uh, there's a couple tracks on this album that I shot, I thought for sure they'd pick up on raw dog, uh -huh. uh, you know, the abortion, the rape yeah. abortion bit uh, yeah. for sure. Right. Yeah. Especially because of the recent decision, the Roe yeah. v. Wade yeah. overturning and everything else. Right. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Maybe they will. Maybe I'll write them a little bit. It's not going to get played anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so in watching all the comedy that you've watched, and I'm glad you're a fan of it too, because some people, I've talked to some people who just don't watch comedy and they're comedians. And it's oh, weird. there's guys who come in, they do their show, they leave. Yeah. 
You know, yeah. they don't watch anything up to the show. Yeah. They don't watch anything up to their spot. They don't watch anything after their spot, uh-huh. right? Yeah. I think you at least have to watch before your spot. Yeah. Because how do you know what's going on? Yeah, no doubt. could have happened in yeah. the show, you know? Yeah, you your know, joke could have been told. Who, there's a lot of headliners who just sit in a room, in the green room. Yeah. Don't go out at all till they're on. Yeah. Right? I watch the whole damn show yeah. because I want to know what's going on in the room. Right. You know? So based on what you are seeing that's going on, what advice would you give to most of the new comedians that you see? Oh boy. Going back to the story thing, I think storytelling is very popular these days. And I always tell comedians that that anything that they have that's based in truth or a true story about them, anything that's theirs, you know, like anyone could do my jokes pretty much. Not anyone, but anyone with any degree of skill could do my jokes, Mm -hmm. right? The best jokes, I think, are jokes that are so personal that other people could do them, but why? That they have, you know what I mean? So I always tell new comics that anything you have that's personal of you and funny, of course, right, is gold, right? Because who can duplicate that? Yeah. You know, anyone can take your jokes, but they can't take you. And if you are an integral part of your jokes, then that's a unique thing. You that's know? that really strikes there's, there's, Okay, so here's here, here's another thing that I was, you know, there's at a point in this business, everybody's funny. Right? At a point, everybody's funny. Okay, you're funny. So what? Yeah. Right? What else have you got in addition to being funny? What makes your funny different? What makes your funny more memorable? What makes your, you know, connect with the audience better type thing? Because everybody's funny. That's so true. And it's kind of a juxtaposition because the I'm listening to JFL almost all the time and they are, like you said, they're very heavy into the writing and versus the performing. And I'm wondering why I am drawn to that more than I am somebody that's, you know, loud and proud and does a lot of act outs and stuff like that. I just, the other thing is loud and proud and act outs don't work very well in audio. And if you're listening, primarily listening, watching comedy, the jokes are going to stand out. Right. Because one thing people always say about me is like, say, and it happens occasionally I get recognized. Doesn't happen very often. Used to happen more because there was a point in the early 2000s where just about everything I'd ever done up to that point was being rerun on the new comedy network. And people still say this to me. They'll say, you know, I saw you and I thought it was you and I wasn't sure until I heard your voice. Yeah. Because they, you know, that I have a very distinct voice. Yeah. And I think that's something else that helps me carry, you know, the bits type thing is that I do have a distinct voice. It's a voice that cuts through. Right. You know, I can take a room if I have to. Yeah. Right. If yeah. people are chitting, chatting, whatever, yeah. I can overpower them. <laughs> the other thing is it's a perfect pitch for me because I wear hearing aids and there's uh, certain frequencies I don't hear. I hear you. So <laughs> that, that helps. Well, I'm with you on that. I'm in complete hearing denial right now. Yeah. On You know, when your parents say, turn that down, you'll go deaf. Yep. They're right. I did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, used my, to DJ in high school. I used to have a pair of can- headphones on. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you're listening to the music in your headphones louder than it's playing in the room. You so you it. can cue up the next whatever, right? Yeah. And uh, I hear conversations wrong 
all the time yep. now. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And the, the funny thing about that, I've been meaning to do a bit about it, is how you never question it. Yeah. Like you hear it wrong. It's so completely wrong. It couldn't pot. Like, yeah. how did you get it so wrong? And yet you think, yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I'm working on a bit about hearing aids being a racket too, because they're not all they're cracked up to be. So that's going to, that's going to be another bit because you still hear it wrong. You just hear it more yeah. clearly wrong. <laughs> right. Clearly wrong and louder, <laughs> yeah. probably. And they squeal too if you pull them out or something. Yeah, they? yeah. They still do that. Oh yeah, and then you can hear the uh, you can hear the people in the restaurant behind you more than you can hear the person in front of you. So that's right. that's still a thing. And yet, all the technology is supposed to be so much better. Glenn, I got to tell you, it's great to talk to you. I'll just keep saying it. That album is one of the best albums I've heard. And I'll say that as many places as you can. <laughs> I, I will. So if people want to find you, where can they find you besides that? Canadianguy.com. That's pretty much it. Okay. Actually. If you go there, it's there's links to everything else. At least there should be. I don't know. I designed my own website, so it's probably a, in a state of shambles like yeah. everything else right now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you just look up that Canadian guy, you'll find stuff on YouTube. All the links are on the website. As I say, the album has been suspended from Spotify, so any other, I mean, I suppose you could buy it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if anyone buys anything anymore, I don't yeah. know. I actually do, so if oh, okay. I listen to it, I always buy it, just because uh, I know. But I was going to say that some of, the, some of the clips on the album I have video for on the website. Yes. So yeah. So there's stuff there, and uh, yeah, I guess that's, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm a pretty findable guy. Yeah. On the yeah. End. I was one of the first comedians actually to even have a website. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, this is a kind of a, a true but sad story. I used to run an open mic. I don't know if you ever heard of Jeff Healy. I he love a, Jeff Healy. Okay. Yeah. Guitar player, right? We had a bar in Toronto, and I used to run an open mic at his bar huh. on Monday nights. So it would be like comedy first and then music afterward. And at the time, we were talking about the early 2000s uh, into maybe two, the, anyway, YouTube was just coming along, right? And some of these younger guys were saying, oh, you got to put your stuff on YouTube, you know? And I was like, I don't know, who's paying for this? <laughs> who's paying for the bandwidth? And I was all like negative Nelly about the whole thing. And then Dane Cook becomes a huge star and Russell Peters yeah. becomes a huge star. And then, yeah. you know. These guys, they had their board in the water yeah. when the wave was coming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I saw the wave and I'm like, nah, I don't know if I want to get my, yeah, <laughs> who's paying for this? Uh, it could be a scam. Yeah. So, you know, I was first, I really, you know, I was an early adopter with technology. I was on the internet and I just, you know, dropped the ball as I do occasionally. Uh -huh. and, you know, when you're AD, yeah. uh, a lot of balls get <laughs> dropped. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, we're going to have to get together and just talk music and stuff because you mentioned two of my favorite bands, Triumph and Jeff Healy. Oh, so right. for some it's reason, me. I lean Canadian and everything. And you must be a huge Rush fan. Then. Yeah, big time. And I saw Jeff Healy in a bingo parlor in Indiana, probably, Ooh, yeah. I don't know, 25 years ago. And he just tore the place up. It was just fantastic. Oh, yeah. It was, it was amazing to, to watch. I still listen to his stuff. I mean, nobody can play a guitar like him because the way he did it. I mean, it's just... he played it, yeah. Yeah. It, That's a great story in itself. And it, no one told him he had to pick it up, so yeah. he put it on his lap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's how he learned to play, Yeah, right? Yeah, so 
he didn't know he was blind, right? Yeah. There, there was no, nobody can repeat those riffs because the way he did it, it's, there's just exactly. no, no comparison. I, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. But I, like I said, everybody check out that Canadian and go wherever you can to listen to unchecked. If you're a comedian, you need to listen to it because it's like a it's like a comedy book in an album. I mean, you can listen to it a few times and then understand how a joke's supposed to be told. So I really loved it. I, I can't thank you enough, man. It is high praise, and I really appreciate that.